Hey, everyone. I don't want to brag, but if I had Voldemort's power, resources, and seven years, I'm pretty sure I could kill a kid. Today's book is Harry Potter and the <laughs> Deathly Hallows, whose villain could take some tips from Anakin. Wow. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and someone who's relieved that this will be the last time Dave ever brings up Harry Potter on this podcast, right? Isn't that what this means? <laughs> Moving right along. And I'm David Vance. <laughs> I read these books each year to become a better writer, is what I tell myself as though I'm not an adult man who owns a Ravenclaw blanket. <laughs> is it true? <laughs> yeah, it is true. <laughs> I laugh at you as I paid several hundred dollars for a Han Solo costume for my 40th birthday. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows is our podcast's final episode. It shows the key to good storytelling is surprise. He's kidding. And this is The Book Pile. Charles Barkley Stole My Bike says, I've been listening to this... Po this is a review. I've been listening to this podcast since its inception and finally decided to give it my most sincere five-star review, hoping they would read it on their show. Kelly and Dan are the funniest book guys around. I feel like they're family. Just one of those things where I don't know if it's a joke or not, because people mispronounce my name all the time. He could be hearing, I'm Kelly Nurskin. <laughs> and Dan is just like, if you did that Tom Riddle thing where you make your name glow in the air and rearrange the words. <laughs> it's always such a kind of silly moment, because we didn't know his middle name was Marvolo. <laughs> <laughs> Also, if Harry Potter was Robert Langdon, he would have solved that mystery like two chapters into the book. <laughs> Tom Marvolo Riddle. Just a double take. Hold on. That spells I'm Lord Voldemort. <laughs> it's nuts, too, that Voldemort was like, I'm going to take my name, scramble it, and then after I spell I am Lord, whatever letters are left, I'm going to use for my new name. <laughs> So I hope they're good. <laughs> no, I know I hate my old name. <laughs> Speaking of brainstormings, how many iterations of that did he go through? I'm Lord Moldy Torv? No. <laughs> All right. And if you want to see me live, I'm going to be in Elk Grove, California, September 16th. And then in Denver, September 22nd through the 24th at Comedy Works South, my favorite comedy club in the country. Go to kellenerskin.com. Also, welcome to our 100th episode. Thanks for everyone who has stuck around. Uh, we won't forgive all the people who didn't. Uh, <laughs> if you're new to this, uh, thanks so much. And uh, here's to another, you know, nine episodes max. <laughs> all right. And without further ado, here are six lessons that we took from Harry Potter and the Deathly Halloween. <laughs> you just gave someone an aneurysm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> to start this lesson, I want to tell the story of Ron and Hermione's first kiss. We've been building to this moment for seven books. Battles raging, people are dying. Ron says, we gotta warn the house elves, and Hermione is all over him. They're making out furiously. And then he doesn't warn the house elves. <laughs> that brings me to... Lesson one, virtue signaling works. <laughs> if Ron could have tweeted about the house elves, by golly, he would have. <laughs> Fellas, little Ron Weasley playbook. 
Find out her social issue. Post about it. Kaching. <laughs> I figured that you were working toward a joke, but I really wanted to stop you right after you said, we've been building to this moment for seven books. <laughs> Because it really felt to me like we had been building to that moment for about 40 pages. <laughs> my experience was maybe different because I remember being like 10 and my mom finishing book two and being like, Harry's going to end up with Jenny and Ron and Hermione will be with each other. And I was like, okay, mom. <laughs> Wait, your mom called the Ron and Hermione thing? Oh, yeah. That's crazy. I feel there was zero like Jim and Pam energy at all. <laughs> all that happened in those first two books and then the following four is that Ron made Hermione cry several times. <laughs> to give props to my mom, she correctly predicted the gender of her first nine kids. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> she was perfect till the last one. <laughs> all right. Lesson two, use contrast to amplify emotions. I originally wrote this as make emotional moments more evocative by slapping people in the face. So <laughs> this book has so many gut-punching moments that are yeah. so much punchier because they come out of, not even out of nowhere. Sometimes they come from the opposite direction. I think I've brought up my own example before that to me, a good punchline should come at you like you're on a massage table with your face in that cushioned circle. You know that thing that's like a little toilet for your head? <laughs> Imagine getting a massage and and 30 minutes in, someone just punches you through that thing. <laughs> it's just so much more of a hit when you're not ready for it, right? So Rowling does the same thing with our emotions. An example for me from book four is when Harry and Cedric, at the end of the maze, when they grab that trophy in triumph mm -hmm. at the same time, and then immediately takes them to that graveyard and Cedric is killed, unless you ask my son. <laughs> does your son know about, like, historical tragedies? <laughs> <laughs> he can't listen to this, yeah, because uh, he thinks that JFK quietly retired. <laughs> no, he actually did see the moon landings that he talked about so much. <laughs> Speaking of which, don't you think that Neil Armstrong either misspoke or he wrote a bad first line for being on the moon? <laughs> the quote is technically one small step for man... One giant leap for mankind. Shouldn't it have been like one small step for a man? He had to have been so nervous. It had to have been more people listening to one person live than any moment in history. <laughs> and he screwed it up. <laughs> what if Armstrong, he steps on the moon and he's like, drink refreshing Coca-Cola. <laughs> like, sorry, they offered like a billion dollars. <laughs> so in this book there are several of these emotionally wrenching yo-yo moments and these were the most notable ones for me there's a moment when mr and mrs weasley harry and lupin they find out in in a front yard that mad eye moody is dead and they walk back into the house where fred and george are laughing together and fred goes mm. what's wrong and that's when the twins get the news yeah the death eaters interrupt bill and fleur's wedding and just start attacking anyone that came out of nowhere i mean if game of thrones has taught you anything <laughs> never be happy <laughs> 
But for me, the most painful example of these emotionally contrasting moments uh, is with Fred Weasley, who is murdered mid-joke during the Battle of Hogwarts. So my takeaway for this is that I think the best timing for a surprise party would be for someone just returning from active duty. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lesson three. Aim creativity at a target. And by creativity, I mean a water gun. And by a target, I mean all hairless cats. Those things give me the willies. (laughs) So J.K. Rowling wrote a version of the last chapter of the seventh Harry Potter book before she even started writing the first book. Wow. And in the DVD commentary of the last movie, J.K. Rowling says, quote, I always knew, and this was from really early on, that I was working toward the point where Hagrid carried Harry, alive but supposedly dead, out of the forest. Always. I knew we were always working toward a final battle at Hogwarts. I planned the ghosts, that they would walk with him into the forest. And that mental image is what kept Hagrid alive, despite the fact that he would have been a natural to kill in some ways. Hmm. Like, of course, of course he would have been. You killed off most of the other people I loved. Yeah. If Harry treats you as a parental figure, watch out. (laughs) This is why I don't befriend orphans. She continues, but it was so perfect for me because it was Hagrid who took him into the world and Hagrid who would bring him back. I do think it would have been funny, though, and a very Hagrid thing to do if Harry accidentally had let out a breath too early and Hagrid was like, hold on, everyone, Harry's alive. (laughs) (laughs) I think at that moment, too, right before, because Dumbledore and Harry are sitting at that train station and Dumbledore says, if you go back, I think he might be finished for good. So what if Harry wakes up, Voldemort has anyone except Narcissa Malfoy feel Harry's pulse, and then the Death Eaters just like kill him with rocks, and then he's right (laughs) back with Dumbledore. So this is my fully subjective opinion of the plotters versus pantsers comparison we've brought up a number of times. You know, a plotter being someone who outlines a story ahead of time compared to someone who just writes by the seat of their pants, making it up as they go, like Stephen King or Alex Jones. Plotters (laughs) win in the end for me. I agree. I absolutely uh, am a pantser when it comes to like making up bedtime stories for my kids. But the most satisfying stories by far are the ones where the author just knows where they're headed and can feed you just enough Mm -hmm. consistently along the way to satiate demanding questions and then still reward you in the end with something surprising yet fitting, to quote Dave, which I never do. J.K. Rowling (laughs) had a direction in mind for this whole series, which I think could be read as a single 3,500-page book. Yeah. Like, how neat would it be if they sold it like one of those Bibles from the 1500s? (laughs) That's how I treat it. (laughs) (laughs) You have a copy that's only in Latin that only you understand. (laughs) Crazy that when those first Bibles were compiled, it was still just one guy who was like (laughs) talking to hundreds of people down below. Like, I'll tell you what this basically says. Give me money. To me, uh, the only actual 3,000-plus page book I've read uh, is my own journal as a teenager, and that (laughs) end was super disappointing. What happened? I turned 38, because that's when I started journaling again. (laughs) 
The journal had not troubled him in 15 years. All was well. <laughs> a couple episodes ago we did, and then there were none. One of my favorite books I've read this year, one of my favorite episodes we've done. Agatha Christie, she would write the first chapter of a book, and then the last chapter, and then all the middle part. Really? Wow. Yeah. And her stories sold more than two billion copies, second only to Shakespeare. Man. Shakespeare was a big plotter because he just took other people's stories. <laughs> <laughs> Gone with the Wind was written backwards. Not like word no. for word. That would be insane. But chapter by chapter. And that movie sold more tickets than any other movie in history. Isn't that crazy? If it were That's out nuts. today, it would have grossed half a billion dollars more than Avatar, which is currently the highest grossing Whoa. film. Yeah. And Avatar 2 is in theaters this December. This whole podcast has just been leading up to this ad. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't the Avatar sequel be called? Yes, we know it's been a while, but hey, Top Gun did it. <laughs> All right, lesson four. Is Dumbledore a bad headmaster? All right, all right. I'm going to start by saying I love Dumbledore, but I think he may be bad at his job. And I know a lot of you are probably furious right now, like, you better have a good argument, Dave. So I'll start. He has so many slaves. Biggest slaveholder in the book, by far. And not only that, the house elves are almost his only good hires. He <laughs> hires terrible people. Quirrell and Moody are evil. Trelawney and Lockhart are useless. Snape, Binns, and Hagrid are awful teachers. Lupin almost kills a kid. Hooch is on the payroll as a Quidditch ref. How is that a full-time position? <laughs> and the janitor wants to torture kids. <laughs> and everyone's like, ah, the greatest headmaster. <laughs> also, he's just always gone when there's danger, either because he's easy to trick like in book one Or book three, they go back with the time turner. He could have gone with them. <laughs> like, what, is he a mob boss? He doesn't want to get his hands dirty? <laughs> And he's so chill about kids in danger. Book one, someone calls him up like, Albus, quick, the Potters are dead, but Harry's alive. And he's like, oh, that's chill, dog. I'll send my slowest guy. <laughs> they say... Hagrid? I mean, shouldn't you go or anyone who can apparate? And he's like, ah, nah, nah. Harry should be fine for a day next to his dead parents in his exploded house, right? <laughs> Hagrid gets there just before the traitor, Sirius Black, and Dumbledore's like, oh, for real? Crazy. <laughs> and speaking of Hagrid, Dumbledore never exonerated him for 50 years. He knew Hagrid was expelled on Voldemort's testimony, and he's like, well, I'm not interfering with the judicial process. <laughs> We're a society of laws. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm mostly poking fun because I know the reason J.K. Rowling did it, which is, you know, it, it's so hard to have a super powerful mentor and have your protagonist face real challenges. And an example of someone who did it way worse is... Obi-Wan just dies for no reason on purpose. <laughs> He says he'll be more powerful. He's not more powerful. <laughs> well, this is where you're going to have the nerds like me telling you that that was the only way that he would be able to speak into Luke's mind at the end of it when Luke is flying <laughs> his X-Wing. <laughs> I wish we had radios or something. <laughs> It would have just been a little different because Obi-Wan would have had to have been like, stop using the computer, Luke, including this channel that you're hearing. Just hear me out. Let's turn them off together, okay? One. 
You're right. I, too, when I want my pitch to go a little better, just die. <laughs> yeah, a couple of the moments that stick out to me are when, like, Harry is in that heaven slash King's Cross station, and he asks Dead Dumbledore why he didn't tell him the details of Harry's connection with Voldemort. Uh-huh. And Dead Dumbledore goes, well, I was just guessing, but my guesses are usually right. Harry could have just been like, yeah, but you still didn't answer the question. Like, why didn't you tell me your guesses? <laughs> also in this book, when Dumbledore leaves Harry, Ron, and Hermione, these seemingly mundane objects uh, as an inheritance, but he needed to be secretive. Uh-huh. So he didn't tell them why, because he knew the ministry would uh, confiscate them first. He could have just sent them letters before saying, hey, <laughs> if I die and you get these things, here's what they're for. <laughs> because it's like... How many wizards and muggles died in the months that it took Hermione to figure out what they were supposed to be doing? Like, was that worth teaching (laughs) Harry a lesson of (laughs) self-discovery? Also, as you're saying that, I'm realizing in book six, Dumbledore is constantly searching for Horcruxes. He does not tell Harry where he looked. (laughs) (laughs) Also... I have one more desperate argument for Obi-Wan Kenobi's death, and that is (laughs) that when Luke was laying in the snow on the ice planet Hoth about to die, Obi-Wan also showed up to him and said, go to Yoda. (laughs) And he couldn't have said that alive? (laughs) No, it just wouldn't have had the same impact if he was like (laughs) on his walkie-talkie. Just imagine that you let yourself die because you thought you'd be more powerful, and now you can't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, his last word should have been like, I called my bluff. (laughs) All right, the lesson this has all been building to over a hundred episodes. Is Ron Weasley good? So I'm going to go first. So... I want you to think of the kids you knew from 11 to 17. Just take a quick sec, think of a couple of them. Because I'm going to argue that Harry is not a real kid. He doesn't bully. He doesn't fight unless the other person's clearly racist. He's a teen with an invisibility cloak, and instead of being a little creep, he uses it to go to the library. (laughs) I read about Harry, and I'm like, I don't know that kid. And then I read about Ron, and I'm like, I know that kid. The guy grew up with wizards and somehow never heard of the sorting hat, the dark mark, or what spells are supposed to sound like. He thinks they're funny poems. Bless his dumb heart. The thing to remember about Ron is he's living out his worst fear. He was afraid of being in his older brother's shadow, and he for sure is. He never dreamed he'd also be best friends with someone with a way bigger shadow. Homeboy became a prefect on a technicality. He's prefect because the guy who should have been prefect was so much better at everything that Dumbledore was like, well, he can't be prefect too. So, despite those challenges, Ron has the most net house points in the book, 202. He wins two Quidditch Cups, saves the world, wins over the dream girl, saves Harry's life, and does all of that while basically being like a normal guy. Like, I'll put it this way. Harry and Hermione are LeBron. Ron is Steph Curry. You watch LeBron and you're like, okay, well, I'll never be a seven-foot linebacker. You watch Steph and you're like, he's the shortest one on the court and look what he learned to do. 
Don't you dare compare Steph Curry <laughs> to the most boring, dumb, uninteresting character in Harry Potter. <laughs> First of all, my argument isn't that Ron isn't real and that Harry is. I agree with you. I knew that kid. I knew a lot of those kids. <laughs> I didn't choose to make any of them my BFF. <laughs> I think that Harry could have done so much better. I think that Harry could have had a best friend that was a good friend. That's... <laughs> I don't agree, but go on. <laughs> First, I started listing out all of Ron's flaws within the template of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> but, but the list grew way past it. I tried to consolidate my hatred down to just some key moments. Like this is an example just from this book of both gluttony and sloth. Quote, so where's next was Ron's constant refrain. He didn't seem to have any ideas himself, but expected Harry and Hermione to come up with plans while he sat and brooded over the low food supply. <laughs> In a nutshell for me, Ron is a dumb, uninteresting coward. And when it comes to sight... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold mm -hmm. on. 11 years old goes after the stone and lets himself get clobbered by a big statue... 12 goes after goes into the chamber of secrets i don't know i was way more useless at 11 and 12 hold on how far did he make it into the chamber of secrets <laughs> that wasn't his fault was then he got worse with age because i'll give you some later examples <laughs> <laughs> that would disagree with the young run i just think when it comes to sidekicks you can be dumb you can be uninteresting you can even be a coward you just can't be all three <laughs> like i know that even Han Solo was cowardly enough to initially ditch Luke before the Death Star battle and then return to save him. But he was at least still cool and funny. Like Han Solo <laughs> made Star Wars cool and funny. On the other hand, in this book, when Ron abandoned the fight against the Hitler of wizards and left Harry and Hermione for his mommy's cooking, I was like, good riddance, <laughs> you <laughs> incessant whiner. Now Harry and Hermione can focus on saving the day by themselves the way they did in book three. You remember that in Prisoner of Azkaban <laughs> when Ron ended up in, in the hospital and Dumbledore turned to Harry and Hermione like, cool, you two are more than capable of handling this. <laughs> now let's talk dumb. Rowling makes sure that lots or loads, as they say over there, of the bad characters are dumb. Dudley's dumb with a dumb face. Crab is dumb. Goyle's dumb. We find out that Crab and Doyle's dads are also dumb. So why make Ron dumb? And I don't use the word dumb lightly, but Ron, aside from being a bad student, he just doesn't get anything. He doesn't solve anything. He leads Harry off track. Remember how most of book two didn't need to happen? But then Ron told Harry not to talk to Dumbledore about hearing voices because Dumbledore <laughs> would think Harry was mental. <laughs> Draco, the evil kid, he's always flanked by two big dumb kids. But what, Harry's better because he only has one big dumb kid with him? <laughs> he knows about sports, that's it. Don't we all know that guy? Do any of us like that guy? <laughs> I don't think he's as dumb as we're both making him sound. I think those are the dumbest moments for sure. You don't think that he's as dumb as all the examples I just gave? I don't think he's as dumb as Crab and Goyle. Okay. I just know that if I had a 17-year-old son who had done all the things that Ron had done, I'd be like, nice job. You're talking about him the way that like how people never use the phrase, he's a good kid, though, about an actual good kid. 
<laughs> I'm not saying that Ron doesn't do things that are redeeming. He does, or it would make zero sense for him to be in the stories. I just don't enjoy it when Ron is in the room. That's most of the books. <laughs> that is not true because he abandons Harry here. He's not there in the end of book three. He's not there for the first third of the fourth book when he abandons Harry because he straight up doesn't believe him that he didn't put his name in the hat and now he's jealous of him. You know, Harry's best friend. <laughs> Aside from being dumb and all that, Ron doesn't respect girls, teachers, people younger than him or his own pets. So I just think after all that, how can you still consider him a decent person? I mean, first of all, I think we just respond differently to his personality, where I, I just don't even really think of him as all those bad things. But even if I, if I grant that, if my great-grandpa had those personal qualities, and as a 17-year-old, he volunteered to go and fight Hitler, I wouldn't come away being like, what a bad guy. He was sometimes mean. <laughs> but by saying sometimes mean, he full on like pushes children out of the way when he's in the common room so that he can get food or a more comfortable seat. He visibly hates his own pets, even though Harry suspects that he actually likes them. <laughs> and the thing is, Ron did go to fight the Hitler <laughs> of the time. And then he dodged that draft. <laughs> <laughs> for a day. It's more like he deserved it. No, that was months. Day. It was months. He tried to come back right away, but he got captured. Oh, uh, that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> My argument isn't whether or not Ron's contribution sum up to a net good. I'm just saying he's a lousy, selfish, dishonest kid, and Harry could have chosen a better best friend. Dave, picture your best friend. Okay. Think of Ron. Now, what is that Venn diagram? Is it a perfect circle over a circle? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I'm going to convince you to like Ron, and I don't think you're going to convince me to hate him. So, listeners, you weigh in. <laughs> the, <laughs> the sign of a great debate. <laughs> Both of us are even more convinced. <laughs> oh, I'm convinced you hate Ron. <laughs> All right, random facts. The first random fact is that we recorded this over two days thinking it would be seamless, and then I woke up a man. <laughs> we wanted to give everyone the same experience they had between the second and third movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the first real random fact. I've noticed house points are kind of like Bitcoin, where you never know what they're worth. Because three Gryffindors are out of bed and they lose 150 points. Three Gryffindors stop Voldemort coming back and they win 160 points. <laughs> And bear in mind, those three were also out of bed. <laughs> so this is just a general Harry Potter note. Doesn't Guy Fieri sound like a magic spell? <laughs> yeah, what would that do? Yell at your food? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking it would set a bro on fire. <laughs> The Dursleys are so abusive, but isn't it sweet how much they love each other? Because <laughs> usually terrible families are terrible to each other, but they're just so kind and sweet. And so what? They just all kind of hate Harry's vibe. <laughs> Is that a crime that he's not their cup of tea? <laughs> 
And yeah, they hate wizards, but let me tell you, you would hate wizards if they gave your son a tail, ruined your dinner party, blew up your sister, gave your son a huge tongue, sicked a dementor on your kid, and then made you go into hiding. (laughs) It's like the only thing that happens in the first chapter of every book is that all of the Dursley's crazy suspicions come true. (laughs) Dudley's tongue... He straight up almost died. Right. (laughs) So yeah, if you were his dad, you might also twitch at the word magic. (laughs) So when Harry died and ended up in the heaven of King's Cross Station, he was naked, which proves my theory that your clothes don't die with you. (laughs) This also means that all the ghosts in Hogwarts should be nude. Then maybe I'd watch the movies. (laughs) I laughed really hard when I realized that since Dementors wear hooded cloaks, they either go shopping or know how to sew. (laughs) And either idea is wonderful. (laughs) Someone told me they were actually born in the cloaks, but I'm choosing to just not know that. So when Harry, Ron, and Hermione are, uh, you know, running around in forests, at one point, Harry and Hermione finally decide on how best to carry around a piece of Voldemort's soul with them. And Ron says, great, now that that's sorted out, can we finally get some food? And it's like, yes. (laughs) Sorry, Ron. (laughs) Again, going back to World War II, can you imagine... If you and a fellow soldier were like, check it out, we just deciphered a coded message from the Nazis, and then a third guy comes up and is like, cool, do you know if there's like a McDonald's around here? (laughs) I see that you are not keeping the fight on the ring. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was a fun random fact. (laughs) Very random, yes. (laughs) You ever wonder how Slytherin, building a castle with his three buddies, was able to hide his huge construction project from them? (laughs) Like, are they looking at the basement blueprints together and Salazar just has a huge section labeled nothing? (laughs) So at the beginning of the story, Harry is pretty down on himself and he's thinking Dumbledore like Mad-Eye like Sirius like his parents like his poor owl we're all gone and it's like yeah if you think that's bad Harry just keep reading (laughs) but Dave serious question doesn't it seem like Voldemort at least half won like I know that they stopped him from taking over the world fine but for us the reader He killed 50% of the people we cared about. Mm. Like, imagine Star Wars A New Hope if Obi-Wan Kenobi died, as you mentioned earlier, but then also Han Solo, Chewbacca, and R2-D2. I just don't think that everyone would have left the theater with that same movie buzz. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not against sad endings. I just think that if the point was for Harry Potter to beat Voldemort, it's a little off to me that Voldemort lost with a higher score. (laughs) You ever see back in the days of the BCS in college football, that article saying that Germany won the BCS in World War II? (laughs) Oh, no. Because they had a tougher schedule and more victories. (laughs) (laughs) But do you have any any thoughts on that or 
my literal thought is, I guess I don't think of it as like half of the people we cared about died. Not even like half of your favorite people. Like so many of them seemed unnecessary. Like why Hedwig? Why Dobby? Why Fred? Like I feel like there would have been plenty of sadness to go around. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to me, the deaths in book seven just feel like the realism of war where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of death and it's pretty random. Mm. Like it feels like magical saving Private Ryan. Yeah, but I didn't like Saving Private Ryan. (laughs) You were like, why all the death? (laughs) So I sort of do get Dobby because that seems to light a fire under Harry. I don't know why he needed more of a fire with everyone else that had died. But at that point, that's when he turned into a stone-cold interviewer. (laughs) But then just stuff like, I mean, why why Fred and not Percy? You know, that was just, that seems like she's just hurting us for fun. Well, probably. (laughs) I think the honest truth she's communicating is that war is very costly. But I already knew that, Dave. She doesn't (laughs) have to tell me in a fairy tale book. (laughs) But your kids don't know it, and yours still won't. (laughs) It's funny to think that during the huge battle of Hogwarts... Moaning Myrtle was probably just in her bathroom feeling sorry for herself like every other day. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, Voldemort says that Harry Potter lives is due more to my own errors than to his triumphs. True. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) He did not handle that well. I've never understood those bad guys who are like, I must kill this person. It's like, man, you really want this person dead. Leave no stone unturned. (laughs) The part where Hagrid says to Madame Maxine, was it your mother or your father? Hagrid, it was definitely her mother for several reasons. (laughs) (laughs) The reasons are every part of the process. So in more than one episode, I I brought up how J.K. Rowling inserts not-so-subtle subliminal messages in people's names, making you like or dislike them. Like, bad people are named Crab, Filch, Lestrange. (laughs) Good people have jolly names like Lovegood, Longbottom, Tonks. But I think the winner of the bad people has to be Pious Thickness. (laughs) She made it a name by putting an E at the end of Thickness. Also, Horcrux is the most evil-sounding word, isn't it? I just want to know, what was that brainstorming process? So she's like, evil knick-knack? No. Jerk point? Getting closer. (laughs) For how cowardly Pettigrew is, you gotta respect his willingness to cut off random body parts at the drop of a hat. (laughs) I want to see a Harry Potter noir movie. This hard-boiled detective stops at nothing to get answers, goes into bars, breaks people's legs, and the detective is Hedwig trying to track down these people. (laughs) How does an owl find the most wanted wizard in the world? She breaks the rules. I think it'd be pretty easy for Hedwig, because apparently... All an owl has to do to find someone is that you tell them the person's name. (laughs) One of my brothers said, the ministry should just take a normal owl, write a letter to Sirius Black, and then it's a bomb. (laughs) 
So we find that Hermione took books from Dumbledore's office after he died by using a summoning charm out her window and his books just flew out of his over to her. Uh So she's showing us that in this world, you could just steal stuff constantly. (laughs) Like from everyone. (laughs) This goes back to my theory that if magic were real, all wizards would just look like those big fat people on the Wally spaceship. (laughs) In book three, Sirius goes to see his godson play Quidditch, and what a terrible game to watch. Harry can't see, Cedric catches the snitch, Harry just falls off his broom, (laughs) and then Sirius has to lie and say, you fly just like your father. (laughs) So I know I haven't said much about Ron today, but... At one point, as a birthday present, <laughs> when will this stop? <laughs> Ron gives Harry a book, and Harry even says, this isn't really your style, knowing that Ron is a dumb idiot who doesn't read books. <laughs> There's a part in a book where Harry is writing in code, and he writes, we're all missing our biggest friend, and I love that he thinks that's code. <laughs> <laughs> So the Black family's house elf creature has apparently been depressed for decades because he had to obey Regulus's command not to reveal that Regulus had given his life to sabotage Voldemort. It's been like torturing creature for 40 years. Yeah. But then 10 seconds after he says this, he easily disobeys Harry just to call Hermione a mudblood. <laughs> I don't really like Snape. So I love imagining an afterlife where Snape approaches Lily and he says, I still love you. Give me a chance. And Lily's like, oh, okay. Uh, Quick question. Were you nice to my son? You know, my orphan son, orphan because of you. Were you nice to him? And Snape just slowly backs out of the room. At one point in the book, uh, Harry's describing Ginny and his thoughts as they're together, and he says, He chanced a glance at her. She wasn't tearful. That was one of the many wonderful things about Ginny. (laughs) She was rarely weepy. (laughs) Right, Dave? Don't you just hate it when a woman cries like a weak person? (laughs) That's what everyone should look for in a partner, someone who doesn't express emotion. No wonder Ron is Harry's best friend. I think you dislike Ron and I like Ron for many of the same reasons, which are that Ron is easily the most flawed of the main three. And you see that and you're like, I can't stand him. And I see it and I'm like, oh, yeah, he is the most like all the teenagers I was and grew up with. Again, I love a flawed character. I hate an annoying one. (laughs) And I guess he just didn't annoy me. Yeah, I think that's that's what we've boiled this down to, is that annoyance, uh, I guess, can be subjective. Some people love Jar Jar Binks, you know? (laughs) I wonder if any of it is that I grew up with Ron and you experienced him as an adult for the first time. That's so. So that I'm like, very this kid grew up at the same time as me. No, we're real close. And you're like, who is this brat? <laughs> but again, did you choose to be friends with people like Ron? I know that those kids existed around me. I was just never like, hey, do you want to share a, a train compartment together? 
I'll buy you some candy since you're poor. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're asking if I or my friends were ever quick to be angry or have our egos hurt, then, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's more like, hey, you know that kid over there that keeps making innocent girls cry and just hurts everyone's <laughs> feelings? Let's go hang out with him and never stand up for any of those people. <laughs> that is a flaw that I'm not a fan of about Harry is sure. that uh, whenever Ron makes Hermione cry, Harry's never like, hey, man, cool it. He's just like, <laughs> and then Harry and Ron walked away from her awkwardly or Hermione went crying into her dormitory and Harry's like, Whew, <laughs> glad that's over. <laughs> My sister Jess pointed out, there's that line where Harry said he would gladly split his money with the Weasleys, but he knew they would never take it. And she's like, we never see him offer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Oh, man. Do you think that after Fred's death that George had to rename it Weasley's Wizard Wheeze? <laughs> All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. One, virtue signaling works. Two, use contrast to amplify emotions. Three, aim creativity at a target. Four, is Dumbledore a bad headmaster? Five, is Ron Weasley good? And six, win debates by having the last word. Ron sucks. Ron sucks. <laughs>